You're listening to a TVO podcast. The following podcast contains coarse language, descriptions of violence, and sensitive themes which may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'd spent over two years interviewing experts in criminal justice, correctional officers, forensic physicians, defense lawyers, and even an eyewitness who said he saw the death of Suleiman Fakiri. I came to the conclusion that Suleiman died based on the way he was restrained, on his belly and with his hands and legs handcuffed behind his back, and the long struggle with dozens of correctional officers, leading to the bruises, exacerbated his already exhausted state. It was just a theory. As part of this series, I asked the chief forensic pathologist of Ontario, Michael Palanin, why all of the evidence in this case was seemingly not taken into account during the original 2017 post-mortem report, where it deemed Sully's death as unascertained. I can't sort of comment in a definitive way about those things, but those are exactly the questions that need to be canvassed. What is the role of prone position restraint? What is the role of pepper spray? What is the role of altercation and struggle? You know, all of these factors need to be plainly considered based upon the facts of the case and, and determined to, as to whether or not they're, they're relevant. Weeks later, he announced he would be personally re-reviewing the post-mortem report to investigate the cause of death. And two months after that, the report came out. While it wasn't incredibly detailed, it did confirm our theory. In his own words, this was the new cause of death. Prone position restraint and musculocutaneous injuries sustained during struggle, exertion, and pepper spray exposure in the setting of cardiomegaly and worsening symptoms of schizophrenia. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it was an incredibly important moment in this case. For the first time, the Ontario government was acknowledging all the detailed elements that led to Suleiman's death. The pepper spray, the prone position restraint, the injuries, his mental health. Not only that, it confirmed that it was the actions the guards took to restrain Suleiman that were the cause of his death. For the Fakiri family, it was a relief to finally get answers. Finally. There was a government institution that took a sincere look as to what happened to Sully. But this report used to leave no doubt, sir, between the actions of the guard and the death of Suleiman Fakiri. As a result of Dr. Palanin's new findings, the Ontario Provincial Police, or OPP, once again launched a criminal investigation. It was the third investigation that looked into whether criminal charges should be laid against the correctional officers involved in the use of force in the cell. Just recently, the OPP delivered their findings. The family of a man who was diagnosed with mental illness and died in an Ontario jail are outraged tonight that no one will face charges. For the third time, Lisa declined to lay charges in the death of Suleiman Fakiri, who died face down on the floor of an Ontario jail cell. Ontario's chief pathologist confirmed Suleiman Fakiri died after an altercation with guards at the Central East Correctional Centre. In an email, the Ontario Provincial Police write, Our review did not change our prior investigative conclusions because there remains insufficient evidence to believe a criminal offence has been committed. 
there was not enough evidence. That in itself, like for me, was was just absolutely shocking, but also degrading. This is now the third investigation. They send us a cold, callous email. I met with Yusuf Fakiri after the OPP decided to not lay charges in his brother's death. Again, we went for a walk in a park around his neighborhood. Should we just? Do you want to do? Let me go on the bridge. Yeah, start on here. Okay. 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 No problem. You guys are like paparazzi. Like <laughs> passerbys walking their dogs and pushing their strollers watched as I spoke to a frustrated Yusuf Fakiri. But it doesn't phase either of us. I was hoping Yusuf that they do their job. I was hoping that they do their job. We don't know what the police did. No transparency because we don't know what they did. All left with the same conclusion. No accountability. We don't know, Yusuf, what happened from August 2021 to the time that we received that email. The email he's referring to came from the OPP on February 8th, 2022. He sent us the whole email thread, which isn't very long. The communication was between Nader Hassan and Ted Morocco, the Fakiri family lawyers, and two investigating OPP officers. It's worth noting that these are the same officers who investigated the case the first time, back in 2019. In the email, the officers tell them their investigation has concluded. Nader asks for details, like what took place during the investigation, who did they speak with, and a rationale for their decision. But they didn't respond. Two weeks later, the OPP sent another email, saying their investigation didn't change their previous conclusions. Quote, This is because there remains insufficient evidence to form the requisite grounds to believe a criminal offense has been committed by an individual or a group. End quote. Let's repeat those words, insufficient evidence. Insufficient evidence when the chief pathologist links the guard's action into Suleiman Faqidi's death. Insufficient evidence that the eyewitness, Mr. Thibault, the OPP themselves called credible who saw what happened to Suleiman's death. Insufficient evidence that one of the guards admitted that they did not follow the ministry's policy. 50 bruises, legs and hands tied, pepper sprayed twice, and had a spit hut. That's insufficient evidence. What a preposterous statement. I was also eager to know what the OPP's investigation looked like. Who did they speak with? Did they interview the correctional officers? Were any of the administration questioned? Were there any new discoveries found? How did the new Palanin report factor into the investigation? And then there was the question of the fatal blow. Back in 2020, the OPP said they couldn't press charges because they couldn't determine who gave the fatal blow. That wording conjures up images of a punch or strike that resulted in Sully's death. But Dr. Palanin's report clarifies that it actually wasn't a single blow that led to his death, but rather a series of lethal mistakes carried out by the guards. Yet the OPP, according to their email, haven't changed their original position on the fatal blow, when in reality, so much has changed. There now is a cause of death. Police in the past said they couldn't lay charges because it wasn't clear how Suleiman died. That's what the Kawartha Lakes police said 
during the first investigation in 2017. The fact remains that the report from the pathologist uh, deemed his cause of death to be unascertained and that the injuries he sustained uh, were not significant enough to cause his death. But now, with an updated report and a clear cause of death, still no charges. My email and calls to the OPP for clarification went unanswered. My initial reaction was disgust. Um, but on the other hand, uh, we weren't holding out hope. That's Nader Hassan, one of Yusuf's lawyers. While he was upset at yet another closed door to criminal charges, he admits he wasn't surprised. When they got Dr. Palanin's new post-mortem report, um, we knew that that should have been a game-changer. Um, but we, from our past dealings with the OPP, we, we expected that they would come up with some new justification or excuse not to lay charges against the guards responsible. I asked Nader if he could tell us anything else about the OPP's investigation that might help us understand their decision. We have some insight into their thinking because the first time they told us that they weren't going to lay charges, they, they did provide us with uh, two reasons. One, they said that the post-mortem report was uh, ambiguous on cause of death. That reason no longer exists. The second reason they originally gave was that, according to the lead inspector, there were so many people involved that we don't know who delivered the fatal blow or blows, so we don't know who to charge. And that is an absurd explanation. That's not how criminal law works in this country. Nader reminded us that if a crime takes place, such as an assault or theft, everyone involved is criminally charged, whether or not they even participated. But when Nader confronted the OPP about this, he said they had no answer. And that's part of why we had very little faith that even with the benefit of Dr. Palanin's report, um, they would bend over backward to reach a decision not to charge. So, what's the state of corrections today compared to when we started this podcast? Well, at the Central East Correctional Center alone, the jail where Suleiman was held, the statistics were staggering. According to the local police, in 2021, there were 815 incidents, including 122 calls for drugs and overdoses, 236 assault calls, 86 incidents of mischief, 17 weapons calls, 6 sexual assault reports, 15 threatening incidents, and two death investigations. Not to mention the jail was hit pretty hard with COVID cases, resulting in increased sick time for staff and more lockdowns for inmates. And compared to the previous year of a total of 1,100 calls to the police from the jail, this was an improvement. Across the country, it didn't seem any better. Solitary confinement continues to be widely overused, according to a new report by the Independent Review of Ontario Corrections. It found that between November 2019 and August 2021, over 1,700 inmates were placed in isolation, 
55% were longer than 30 days, and 22.5% were between 60 and 552 days. One of the authors on that new report on solitary confinement was actually Howard Sapers. We interviewed him at the beginning of our podcast, and he now heads an advisory panel overseeing solitary confinement in Canada. I meet with the Minister of Public Safety, and I've asked for an early meeting, and the meeting will be about urgent issues. Some of these issues are long-standing. So, for example, uh, the Correctional Service doesn't determine who gets delivered to the prison gate. That's done by our police and our courts and our prosecutors. And so you, there are big systemic issues. Despite the depressing terrain, it turns out a lot of people I spoke with in the podcast are still fighting the good fight. I work with many families who have first-time offenders and are appalled and shocked at what is happening with their loved one who is now incarcerated. Lee Chappelle continues to work towards prison reform with his consulting firm, dealing with both inmates and staff. He was one of the more outspoken voices when Ontario prisons we're struggling through COVID. We are just so far behind, and that impact, I believe, will result in higher recidivism, higher violence. It's not public safety, it's short-term containment, it's inhumane, and I don't believe it's a good investment. Abby Deshman, along with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, is working to end the prolonged use of dry cells, a more extreme form of solitary confinement. The inmate is first strip-searched, then placed in a cell with the lights constantly on, no flushing toilet, and no running water. Hence, dry cells. She's also pushing for shorter jail sentences and more criminal record suspensions for ex-inmates. The evidence is clear that criminal record checks for the purposes of basic employment, housing, and volunteering are not good screening tools. Simply put, we do not make communities safer by keeping people in poverty, preventing them from accessing jobs, stable housing, or meaningful community connection. Yosko Asenoff, former Ontario correctional officer, has started his own podcast. It's called Duty to Report. Each episode, he sits down with other correctional officers, former inmates, and professionals to speak about their own firsthand experiences. Guests speak about racism, sexual harassment, reprisals, and the trauma they've encountered in the line of duty. Do you think that it's changed you fundamentally as a person? I think so. And I mean, not just me. I, I've seen other women walk into these jobs with a completely different personality than what they became two, three years later. They're hurting. They don't trust anybody. They have to be constantly in control. They can't let go of that control, which creates hardships in relationships, right? And uh... Not everyone is still around, though. Sylvia Jones, who was the minister for the Solicitor General at the time of our podcast airing, is now the health minister replaced by Michael S. Kersner, former entrepreneur in the tech and bioscience field. Clayton Ruby, a well-respected civil rights lawyer in Canada, passed away earlier this year at the age of 80. His interview with us, where he helped me make sense of the first OPP investigation, was one of the last interviews he gave. It should be hard to get into prison, really hard. You want to spend that money on having them in the community, helping them find a job, working with them as a social worker, arranging for housing and drugs, whatever they need, and it's still going to be cheaper than prison. But we don't do those things. We should be rethinking the prison system and the police system.
And then there's Yusuf Fakiri. For me, after all the pain and heartache and, you know, um, the profound difficulty of reliving your brother's murder in more than half a decade, what I've come to believe is that my hope for creating justice and achieving my own version of justice is when Suleiman's name is invoked, the people will think about his story of uh, trying, in all levels of government and Canadians at large, of trying to prevent tragedies such as this. That Sali's story will, will serve as a mechanism for transformative change. Not I'd heard Yusuf give this answer many times before. His ability to remain focused on the larger systemic issues of corrections has always impressed me. But I was more curious to know how much more fight Yusuf had in him and whether he could continue to keep advocating after years of gutting disappointments. Um, and that's my hope. Um, but for you personally, I mean, like, it, it's such a huge toll, personal toll it's taken on you, like you said, to keep reliving your brother. Like, do you have the energy anymore to, to keep fighting? You know, at times we, I struggle with that energy. Uh, 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 I have the energy to... to um, let me think about this. Give me a second, Yusuf. Sure. Yusuf almost always had a well-thought-out response to my barrage of questions. But for the first time in years of speaking with him, he needed a moment to think. I watched him try to come up with an answer to a question he had never given himself the time to consider. You know, family like myself, they've been heartbroken, they've been in pain, and they've, they've really been... Um, the back and forth has, has taken so much strain on them and, and, and no one has moved on. I haven't been able to move on either, let's be very honest here. But I will continue to advocate and fight, but in different ways. Because I think this is what Sully wanted me to do, right? And if I ever tied my hope to the police doing the right thing or the system doing the right thing, I'd be, I'd be lost. I wouldn't survive. Yusuf and his family's civil lawsuit against the Ontario government finally settled in late 2021. He couldn't comment on the details, but said that it settled in a manner that was satisfactory to his family. They're also waiting for the coroner's inquest and Sully's death to take place, and hopefully provide new information. While it's possible the inquest could lead to another reinvestigation by police, based on new medical discoveries, it's unlikely. The results of inquests historically have led to recommendations on how the government can prevent deaths like this in the future. In the meantime, he will continue to work with his Justice for Sully movement, soon to be rebranded Family Coalition, which will help other families who've gone through similar tragedies. Yusuf wanted to give one last message to our listeners. I want everybody to know as they're listening to me is that I don't want people to lose courage for what happened to Sully. I want you to know that I myself will continue to be of your service work in this work, I will be there to, to support you in whatever way I can, um, because um, I want any family or anybody who's listening as I'm talking that they need to know that our work should always be tied to our efforts, not to the results, and we are only stronger together. Suleiman is not with us, but there's many Suleimans who have stories to tell, so I don't want people to lose hope. Um, I haven't. I have not. I, we can't stop. We can't stop because this is a life and death issue. 
Unascertained is written and produced by me, Yusuf Zine, and Kevin Young. Kevin Young is also our audio engineer. Our story editor is Michelle Shepard. Our legal counsel is Willa Marcus. Shahia Tejvidi is the managing editor of podcasts and digital video. The executive producer of digital for TVO is Lori Few. The vice president of programming and content for TVO is John Ferry. Theme song and music by Blue Dot Sessions. Unascertained is produced by Innerspeak and TVO. 